Hello and welcome back once again to the Remedial Magic Podcast, a podcast hosted by myself, Brady, along with my brother Baylor and our good friend Delbert. And we're here to talk some more about uh, what is quickly becoming one of my favorite Harry Potter fan fictions, Alex Quick and the Thorn Circle. Uh, well, welcome back, guys. How's it going? It's been, what, a week now since we've recorded, so uh, it's good to see you all again. Yeah, crazy week for me. I'm in a sales gig, and we're getting into the holiday season, so long hours and pretty exhausting overall. I work for the government, so my job's pretty easy, so it's been a pretty easy week. Well done. I am an unemployed student, so I've spent my weekend making a uh, stop-motion video with Legos. So, you know, the podcast is a is a welcome change for that from that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Are you going to be posting that video to our socials? I probably won't be posting it to our socials. Uh, it's a it's an assignment for one of my classes. Ah. Uh. Um, but I am using Harry Potter Lego figurines to make the video, so you know, I guess it's kind of related. Nice. It's about brains too, right? Like brain parts. It's about it's about traumatic brain injury and how the different parts of the brain are affected. So I guess you know, I could we could throw out maybe a ten second little clip if we wanted to. Okay. That works. We could do that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Make sure you're subscribing to our socials to get the uh, exclusive content, like a 10-second clip from my from my school assignment. Delbert, go ahead and tell the people what our socials are. Yeah, just a reminder for all of you, for Instagram and Twitter, we are at the underscore RM podcast. And then our Gmail is remedialmagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find our Facebook, the audio book, the actual text of the book on our link tree so check that out interact with the community and uh, follow along with our segments throughout the uh, episodes yeah we do look forward to interacting with you guys so please join in and uh, vote along with us on casting and anything else that we do but well we got a pretty packed episode today so unless you guys have anything else to say we might as well just hop right into it I mean we kind of learn who all will be uh, Alex's teachers this semester or year I'm not sure how the how the system works there but so it's kind of once again another kind of character building chapter you know background chapter that kind of thing it is and uh, it's a necessary chapter for sure and it is cool to get kind of an insight into what remedial magic uh, lessons are like which is the a lot of the lessons Alex got placed in after taking her spawn so that part was interesting enough, and then there is some really what seems like Im- important, impactful stuff at the end with the Ozarkers, and so um, I'm excited to get to that part especially. But before we get there, uh, I just want to give a quick recap of the previous chapter. The previous chapter was called Remedial Magic. It's the namesake of our podcast, uh, and it's a, it was an interesting chapter for sure. Alex was... We learned she was saved by Charlie the Raven after uh, she enlarged him with some magic. She was unfortunately put put in a position where she felt like things were unfair when she had to take the spawn uh, to find out how she would be placed in classes. And she didn't do very well, naturally, because she is muggle-born. And so she was given pretty poor grades. In fact, she received several grades that indicated she needed to be tested to make sure that she is not a squib which of course from our experience with her so far we know isn't true but we all were kind of mystified at how you could give a grade so poorly that you would have to test a kid 
to make sure that they're they are actually magical. And then uh, after all that happens, she gets placed in some remedial classes, and uh, that's kind of where the chapter ended. At least that's the basic outline of last chapter. So that gives us a lot set up going forward. It gives Alex some motivation to uh, to prove herself a little bit, and boy, oh boy, I imagine we can expect her to do that. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it as always. I mean, last chapter, I know it was super long. We had a lot of content to talk about. So I'm actually kind of looking forward to this one where I think you're right. There's a lot of character building, but it's not super dense reading and there's not a ton of actual action happening. So it kind of gives us a breather after the previous little set. Yeah, it does. And we uh, we get some interesting information throughout the chapter so it is worth talking about but before we get into that uh i wanted to say that this chapter is called troublesome and we're going to go ahead and do our three sentence summary so delbert why don't you go ahead and throw the first sentence at us alex and her friends go to the principal's office alex decides to once again thwart thwart the rules and heads into the office without permission. Uh, after she gets yelled at by Dean Grimm, she attends several of her classes and then uh, is given a new moniker to go by at school by the Ozarker twins. And so that's what we can expect uh, going forward with this chapter, especially if you've been reading along, you know what we mean with that new moniker she gets at the end. But, uh, before we get there, we're going to talk about some other stuff. And this chapter starts with Alex going to breakfast and finding out that she, along with David, along with a Constance and Forbearance, along with Anna Chu, all have been summoned to Dean Grimm's office for their role in the fight that happened at Grundy's when they were at the Goblin Market. We kind of see once again that everybody is absolutely terrified of Dean Grimm. Like we get a image where Alex is like, yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm looking at my friends and they're physically shaking. Some of them are crying even like it's, it makes you wonder, you know, what, what once again, people are saying about Dean Grimm. Yeah, it, it definitely, Dean Grimm is clearly an intimidating person. We're talking about 11 year olds. I know, for certain, when I was sent to the principal's office when I was around that age, uh, I was pretty nervous too, but it's a little bit different here because almost everybody's nervous except for Alex. Alex instead, of course, is defiant, and she's pretty upset that that it's more than just her and David who are getting in trouble. She She makes the point that it's only those two that got in the fight. Why are Anna and Constance and Forbearance getting in trouble as well? And Constance and Forbearance, they try to take the blame on themselves because it was their their kin, other Ozarkers, that started the fight, and so they should have been able to stop it. Yeah, which once again shows you how bass-ackwards these Ozarkers are. <laughs> I mean, they are, are taking the blame, like they're, they're victim-shaming themselves, in, in essentially, you know, and even though really what caused the fight was the Rash brothers, twins, I'm not, I can't remember, I think they're brothers, the Rash brothers were simply, you know, 
you guys shouldn't be sitting with these people because they're evil, basically. And Alex stood up for the for the twins. So she did, and she's going to later on in the chapter two. But Delbert, the first time you read this, uh, and now that you've read it a couple of times since then, why do you suppose the Constance and forbearance are so want to take the blame so badly just because it was other Ozarkers that were that were causing the fight? You know, I. I take this to a somewhat dark place and I'm not saying this is what's occurring in the book, but the way that Constance and forbearance immediately take the blame for something someone else did almost reminds me of like an abusive relationship. And I'm not saying they're being abused in their culture or anything like that, but it might lead to like, what did you say? A bass backwards way of life where, they're feeling at fault for things that the men in their society specifically are doing just because that might have been the way they were raised. That was my immediate thought upon reading this. Yeah, okay. I was wondering because that's kind of what I was thinking too is that it seems like at Grundy's it definitely seemed like because the the rashes were older and men that they felt like they could order the younger Ozarker girls around and uh this kind of feels the same way where you've got Constance and forbearance almost feeling like it seems like they might feel compelled to listen to what the rashes have to do and to be apologetic on their behalf because of that kind of dynamic. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up age because it definitely could just be that, but I feel like societally we've seen a lot of stuff throughout history where it also has to do with gender, not just age. So I think you're right on both counts. Well, you also get kind of into the whole, you know, you kind of we're talking about how they're not being abused, but they also could be subtly being emotionally abused where you see a lot of, of victims that are subject to that. They kind of stand up for the offenders because they either love them or they trust them. You know, they, they're like, you know, they, they give their trust to them and they they blame themselves for that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. And like another example along the lines of that, and we even see it in the chapter here is it's like an extreme privilege for Constance and Forbearance to be at this school. So when when I initially met them, the first meeting, I was like, oh, it must be very rare for these Ozarkers to be going to school. But then you're immediately taught of a couple more kids that are men that are at school, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal for them. So, yeah, There's definitely something interesting happening with that dynamic. And uh, as we... We have Alex defending Constance and Forbearance while they're trying to take the blame. Eventually, they all make it to Dean Graham's office. And when they get there, Anna Chu is so upset that she's crying. Constance and Forbearance look like they're about to start crying. And Alex is not taking it very seriously. She's saying, what's the worst that's going to happen? We're going to get detention? She's not going to turn us into frogs or something. And this is where we get more insight into how influential Dean Grimm's reputation must be because Anna says, who seems to be the most reasonable one of the bunch even, says, I've heard she turns students who get expelled into pigs and makes them live in the forest. Which, of course, that's a school rumor, but that's pretty uh, that's pretty extreme. And of course, if I'm 11 years old and I think something like that's going to happen, I'm going to be pretty upset too. It's like one of those rumors, you know, that your older sibling tells you, before you head off for your first year of school, they're like, don't be on Miss on Dean Grimm's bad side. She'll turn you into a pig or she'll throw you off the invisible bridge, you know, that kind of thing. 
And it it just it cracked me up when I read that because we I wonder how many more of these uh, stories will continue to influence these kids actions. Yeah. And I also alluded to this just a second ago in my previous statement. But at first, when we hear about Anna, she's also worried that her dad might take her out of school over this. But then, Brady, you're right as well. Constance and Forbearance were almost crying, and they're like, our parents barely let us come. So, I mean, there's a lot of fear in this thing going on their permanent record as far as them staying at the school. Yeah, they want to be there, and so there's legitimate reason for them to be nervous about what's about to happen, especially if, at the slightest word from Dean Grimm, they think they're going to be pulled out of school and made to be homeschooled or sent to a more regional school somewhere else. Uh, we do get introduced to a new character here. There's not, it's not a person. It was a person. There's no secretary for Dean Grimm. Instead, we have a portrait of a woman who looked like a 19th century school teacher. That's what it, she's described as hanging on the wall. And it says she's born in 1814 and she died in 1932. So she lived to be 118 years old already, which is an accomplishment in itself. Uh, and her name is Miss Marmsley, and even though she's not a physical secretary, she seems to fill that role anyways. Uh, which, I guess, I mean, we're talking about the magical world, so it makes sense that a portrait would be fulfilling some of these some of these roles. So we've already dealt with this a little bit with Aspew and with David and his reactions, but is this a form of slavery? Like, I guess the portrait's not alive. Certainly, they're also not paying it, and it's just there indefinitely to be a secretary until the doom of days. I almost wonder if, when a, when a portrait is made of you know some character in their in the time of their life, like if that's just where that portrait is stuck being. Like you saw, like Sir Duggan from the Harry Potter series, like he was a knight. I'm my my thought is is that these pictures are like a snapshot of the time that they were painted. Of these people that they're painted of, or, or in the painting, rather. And I don't think that they're, like, you know, learning entities where they're going to demand free rights. I don't know. That's just my take. Yeah, on. and, I mean, it's interesting because I see what you're saying, but I also kind of disagree. Because in the original series, we see things like Ariana Dumbledore traveling up the uh, path to go bring Neville. And, I mean, the fat lady is very clearly scared of Sirius Black hiding behind people in other portraits. So it's interesting of whether these are lucid or not, or if they're like almost a programming situation just used in magic. It's just kind of interesting. And I hadn't really considered the possibilities until reading this. Yeah. My, I guess, perception from the main series always was that the portraits, when they're created, they kind of have a purpose for their creation. Like all the portraits of the headmasters and headmistresses that sit in the headmaster's office in Hogwarts, they're there. It even says in the main series that they're there and their role is to be advisors to whoever the the head of the school is. And so I don't know that. I mean, <laughs> it's like it's an interesting conversation. I don't know that I would consider the portraits to be living entities necessarily. Uh, I don't believe that they have a soul necessarily. But again, I don't I'm not trying to show like discrimination to portraits if that is the case. I just don't know that that is the case. I don't know. Have you ever asked one? Asked how it felt? I haven't, no, but uh, the fat lady likes to drink and is scared of things. So um, there is some human emotion there. We just don't know 
yeah. how connected that is to the real world, I suppose. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up just because it's a curious thought. At any rate, Mrs. Marmsley seems plenty happy to fulfill her role. She's not exactly the nicest portrait that we've ever heard of. Uh, she's pretty strict and pretty stern, and she tells Alex, like, and everybody else, sit down on that bench and wait your turn, which they do, but Alex takes kind of offense to that and gets impatient and uh, kind of barges into Dean Grimm's office as soon as she knows that she's free. Yeah, and the just so everyone knows, the secretary was pissed when that happened. She was not very pleased. Yeah, not a lot she could really do, though, from her uh, portrait. Yeah, she doesn't have a whole lot of physical restraint. Yeah, I don't maybe think... they need to hire a bouncer as well. This is, this is something, I always think about this. This is the magical world. They could just certainly cast some sort of spell that doesn't allow stuff like that to happen. You oh, know, yeah. if if order is that necessary, if we don't want people barging into places, lock the door. Right. So, uh, before Alex bursts into Dean Graham's office, you've got Benjamin and Mordecai Rash leaving the office, looking sullen, looking red in the face. They've clearly just been with Dean Grimm and she's been chastising them about the incident at Grundy's as well. And so we kind of know what to expect. Obviously they haven't been expelled, which is the fear of everybody else because they're walking out while red in the face, certainly not upset enough to have been kicked out of school. Uh, And basically as soon as the door closes, Alex kind of looks around at her friends, and this was this was kind of nice on Alex's part. She notices how upset they are and how nervous they're getting by waiting, and she decides, you know what? We don't need to wait anymore. We don't need to sit here and be scared of what's going to happen. Let's just go find out, and then she goes and barges into Dean Grimm's office. And Dean Grimm doesn't seem bothered by this. In fact, she's described as being unperturbed by Alex barging in, but... Pretty much as soon as the door is closed, she she tells Alex, oh, you must be in a pretty good hurry to leave Charmbridge if you're going to act this way. Yeah, we also kind of see like almost a calm before the storm because Dean Grimm sits there, sits there, and then just explodes and like, you know, tells Alex, like, do you often go about doing actions without thinking of the consequences of your friends that are involved in the actions and then, you know, Alex kind of says some things, and then she says, do you often do the first thing that pops in your head without any thought? The answer to that is yes. Yeah. Alex does that all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, and then once she says those two things, Alex definitely, like, you can tell that she's taken a hit and isn't quite as cocky anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, Alex... As the conversation goes on, it's it's a lot of back and forth with Dean Grimm chastising her in that way. But Alex does eventually kind of see the point a little bit and straight up asks, are you going to expel me? And Dean Grimm says, well, should I? And Alex's response, to be honest, is kind of noble. She says, you know, if you do, you still shouldn't punish any of the others because they weren't involved. It wasn't their fault that this happened. The only people who were involved were were us and the rashes and that other boy that was with them. And so while this is probably not the response Dean Grimm wanted from Alex, this is a nice 
response where we kind of we kind of get to see that Alex is con- starting to consider Anna and the 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 Pritchards to be uh, her friends. She wants to take care of them a little bit, which I thought was kind of nice. I kind of thought, you know, we talk a lot about how Alex doesn't show a lot of empathy. And I kind of think that this was a moment of of empathy. Like, she's starting to, to know these people. She definitely likes them a lot more than she likes Darla and Angelique because Darla and Angelique are kind of the nosy drama seekers of the class, it seems like. And you see, you see Alex go in there and, just like you said, you know, trying to protect her friends. And it's honestly a noble thing, especially with how scared her friends were. It is, and it works, right? Her saying this, Dean Grimm agrees with her, and she doesn't outright say that, but we know that Dean Grimm agrees because Dean Grimm takes Alex back out to where everybody else is, and she says, Alex here has decided to take the fall so that none of the rest of you get in trouble, and Constance and Forbearance again start trying to take the blame and blame themselves, and Dean Grimm says, no, 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 that's where you're wrong. It's not your fault that those boys acted that way. Yeah, big of Dean Grimm there. Um, built a lot of comp or built a lot of, uh, I guess, confidence with me of her being competent after saying that because she's she's able to figure out who the culprits are, punish the people accordingly, but she also is there to tell Constance and forbearance. No, no, you're not to blame here. Like, get that out of your mind. That's not the case. So, kind of good to see as an educator. It was it was nice to see her respond in that way also. This was another moment where, again, we haven't seen a lot of Dean Grimm showing any personality traits other than being strict and severe. And here it was, while it was still delivered in a strict and severe way, it was at least kind and hopefully pushed across the point to Constance and forbearance that they don't have to take the blame for others' actions all the time. Well, we also see Dean Grimm kind of take her first like quasi political stance in a way because she tells Constance and forbearance nobody is allowed to tell you what you can and can't do no matter if they're older than you no matter if they're a different gender than you and so I just I just thought that was a cool thing that Inverarity wrote in for Dean Grimm to say there it was cool and it fits because Dean Grimm does not seem like the type of person to take the blame or be ordered around by somebody on the basis of what gender they are or on the basis of age. Also, one thing I wanted to talk about, too, is when we actually get to the punishment, I know that Charmbridge is like this, you know, one of the big four. It's probably a renowned school. As far as being a strict school goes, I feel like the punishment was pretty fitting for uh, Alex and David. I really like how it was done with them having the two weeks detention, which you would think is normal, but then also having to write an essay and post it publicly. (laughs) about what they did wrong and how to be better next time, basically. I think it's kind of funny to see that public humiliation aspect just because I think that's a lot more important than wasted times to a lot of kids. I also, I she does say that if you guys didn't have, talking to David and Alex, if you guys didn't have this mishap on the Invisible Bridge, then the punishment would be way more severe than it was. <laughs> what is that? What do you guys suppose that means? I feel like that was a joke. Like... I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like she just said that to make it sound scarier than it was. The only thing I can think is that is that that's exactly what was going on. Because if she was doing like a makeup call situation where 
this bad thing happened, so we're going to let you off a little bit lighter over here. That's not really the right way to, to, that's not like a good precedent to set necessarily, you know? So I also agree that most likely she's saying, she's saying that as a way to add a little bit more weight to the punishment. Like you're lucky it's only this, you know, but I agree. It's a fair punishment. It's a lot, but it's a fair punishment and it's definitely not going to happen again. Right. At least we believe it's not going to happen again. Two weeks of detention, writing an essay, writing an apology letter to Grundy's store. That's a lot for an 11 year old to take on. And so uh, I think it's fair. It's just heavy. And it's a reminder like, hey, we're not going to take any nonsense at this school. Well, I. My mind is it's kind of weird to me because you have these older boys, you know, suppose that I, I guess they didn't say how much older they were than them, but you can assume a few years older, at least, at least I did. They have, they are basically instigating this fight by calling these muggle-borns, quote, muggle-borns, a, what we have termed to be a prejudice, almost racist word, and then starting a fight with younger people, including a woman, or I guess a girl, but yet the people who are defending themselves are still getting this harsh punishment. I, it just seemed strange to me. Do you suppose opinion. that that has something to do with what Dean Grimm knows about Alex that we don't know yet? I'm sure. I mean, just given like Alex's actions so far in the book where she is told one thing and then says, nah, that's whack, you know, and then does whatever the hell she wants. I feel like Dean Grimm is just playing the long game. Like I'm gonna slowly, I'm gonna slowly break you down until you follow all the rules. Even though, <laughs> from what you guys have said, I don't think that that'll happen. But it's almost like Dean Grimm has a has a long term plan to deal with this kind of student. At this point, with the uh, attitude of a lot of people towards Muggleborns, I'm assuming this punishment isn't for the fight as much as it is for using Muggle fisticuffs in the fight. That is true. Dean Grimm even calls them uncivilized savages at one point. So, yeah. so that's a big deal. And also, I mean, Dean Grimm's right when she says you were representing Charmbridge when this happened, which makes the school look bad and it makes me look bad. And so, uh, it's a, again, it's a hefty punishment, but you know, Dean Grimm is laying down the law right now. She's trying to say like, look, if you cross me, you're not going to like the outcome. Uh, after that, they, they leave, they get told that their stuff has been recovered from the valley floor, which when they get it, it's it's absolutely in tatters. The books are soggy, everything's disgusting, the, their cauldrons are dented and broken, and so they pick up their stuff and then they head to classes and we get the first look at what an actual class would look like at Charmbridge. And uh, it's interesting enough, we know that Alex is headed to a lot of remedial classes. And the first one that she goes to is basic charms. And they spend the whole class period learning about how to position your wand and the different types of wand movements, which sounds boring to me and was boring for Alex. She, as soon as it was over, she was wondering when are we going to actually get to cast spells and use magic? Yeah. A little bit different than what we see in Harry Potter and, to be fair, I don't remember if Flitwick's class where they do Wingardium Leviosa was the first one or not, but that sounds a lot more fun than sitting there just holding things. 
here we kind of see, well, first off, I wanted to point out that only four other students were in the class other than David and Alex. So definitely a small class, a small number of people seem to struggle with charms. So hopefully Alex took that as a good sign, like she could get out of it soon. And I, I know she's determined to do so. But also, I after they leave the class and Alex is like, when are we going to start casting spells? I can't remember exactly what David says. But it's pretty, it's kind of a rude remark in my opinion, and especially because it, Alex seemed to think it was targeted towards her, you know, her because she was struggling with what David was talking about. And I, I I just have yet to put a peg on whether I like David or not, whether he's a good friend to have. I think it's too early really to make that determination, but they go through charms and they learn the difference in one positions. And then they head to, I guess we should say that the charms professor is Mr. Newton. And then they head to transfiguration where the professor is Mr. Hobbs. And she notices that transfigurations must be more difficult because this class is a lot bigger. Instead of there being four other people, there's 12 other people. And I guess in my mind, if I place myself in the magical world, transfiguration seems like it would be more difficult. Like turning something into something else seems like it'd be more difficult than making something float. But that's just me putting myself there. Yeah, especially because... It's mentioned that there are older kids in the remedial transfiguration class as well. Still. And it, it seems like that's only a first year class. So clearly a lot of, well, I guess the dozen that are there struggle with transfiguration. Yeah. And I don't know if it was in the movies for the original Harry Potter series, but I remember in the books, there's a lot of stuff that talks about transfiguration being both difficult and also a pretty dangerous form of magic. So it makes sense that here that trait follows. Yeah. It, certainly dangerous. I mean, imagine trying to transform something or even yourself and getting stuck as something else. That would that would be a disaster. Yeah, imagine being an albino ferret. Exactly. Horrible. And I just can't imagine what kind of a teacher would even teach somebody else to become an albino ferret, let alone do that to somebody. Yeah, that would have to be someone in disguise. No way a teacher would really do that. You'd have to be totally mad to attempt something like that. Yeah. And only have one eye. <laughs> yeah. I hear one real eye. Eyes on say. the prize. That's what I always say. Uh, so during Transfiguration, Alex does uh, kind of impress people because she gives an answer to a question. Uh, she's asked, uh, the, what are the four most elementary transformations? And she's able to say, you know, you can do, you can go from inanimate to inanimate object, or you can go from inanimate object to an animate object, or do that in reverse or even go from an animate object to another animate object. And this surprises David. And she asks why. And he says, I didn't realize you had started reading your books. And to be honest, I hadn't realized she had started reading her books either. And so that's a good sign that uh, she's taking things seriously. My, my interpretation was that they had spent time reading during class, but maybe that's not the case. They may have. I mean, that's the backbone of, of any good class is making your students read instead of showing them practical things. So, <laughs> um, so that was transfiguration with Mr. Hobbs. And then after that, they, they leave and David says, well, magical theories next. And unfortunately it's not next for Alex because David's done with his remedial classes and Alex has to continue heading to hers. And she doesn't want to tell him that. So she just kind of lies and says that they must have a different schedule. 
uh, because she's still a little bit embarrassed about having remedial classes. Uh, and so she instead heads to remedial alchemy with somebody named Mr. Gru. And to be honest, when I read the description of Mr. Gru, a large man, uh, thick black robes, heavy black gloves, and then kind of the way he treats Alex, which is if she doesn't respond exactly how he wants, he yells at her and he's kind of snobby towards her. Um, I got some pretty heavy Severus Snape vibes here. It's the same type of class and kind of the same attitude coming from the teacher. I So, Baylor, you're the one predicting things in this podcast, but can I tell you what my prediction was? My hopeful prediction the first time that I read through this series? Sure. I thought this was Igor Kakarov after he ran away and got with a fire. Gosh. I thought he went to America, changed his name, and took up as a potions teacher. Uh, unfortunately, I believe he was one of the many killed by Voldemort as a traitor, but... Truly unfortunate. That would have been kind of fun. I can't believe it's not true. So, yeah, Mr. Gru, he doesn't treat Alex very well. He he makes fun of her, or at least gets angry with her because her cauldron is smashed and because her book is sopping wet, and she says, well, yeah, it's because it fell to the bottom of the valley half a mile away. And his response isn't something of understanding. He says, oh, did you sass back to your teachers like that in the muggle world? Which, this is the second time somebody's accused Alex of talking back to teachers. And all she said is, sometimes, which really pissed Mr. Gru off. Yeah, not a very understanding guy. Seems to be triggered very easily. Well, he did an incredibly weird thing, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, he did. As a response to that. <laughs> I mean, he he bent down and got so close that, quote, Alex could smell his breath, end quote. That, <laughs> that would have been incredibly weird for me. And especially because it says Alex never uh, stopped looking at his eyebrows or whatever. So they were like nose to nose and a... a old ass ugly teacher that probably smelled bad and Alex an 11 year old girl I don't know it just was weird to me yeah I uh, in a world where they're not wearing masks and social distancing this makes me very uncomfortable to think about the yeah. thing the things we did before this wonderful thing called COVID yeah, I'm very disappointed that I can't get right up in people's faces and tell them to say something insolent to me. It's a real shame. One of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of how Mr. Gru's class goes. They also do some reading in that class, and they copy some notes down, and that's all the detail we get. And then Alex goes to lunch, where she gets in a discussion with her friends about how she shouldn't have burst into Dean Grimm's office. Uh, and she kind of says, yeah, I keep hearing that to her friends. And Constance and Forbearance do this thing where they start finishing each other's thoughts. And they Constance says, I think it was awfully brave of her. And Forbearance says, not very wise. And Constance says, ill-considered. And then Forbearance says, but brave. So... There's a little bit of admiration going on here from the twins to Alex. They can, at least you can tell that they're appreciative that she was willing to do that for them. 
Well, then Anna chimes in, too, afterwards, backing up the Constance and Forbearance claim as well. So it seems like there might be a little group of uh, close-knit friends forming here. Which I hope that's the case, because of the group, Anna, Constance, and Forbearance have been the most supportive and the most friendly so far. Yeah, Constance and Forbearance up to this point are by far my favorite of the other kids. Yeah, definitely. I, You also see Darla and Angelique here kind of making fun of them in a way, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, they, they don't really join in on the conversation other than just to say, oh yeah, how were your remedial classes, by the way? Which, you know, that's like, I guess it's a question you could ask, but coming from Darla and Angelique and how they've been so far, that's just kind of seems like a dick move in my opinion. And it's kind of weird to me because like, Angelique seemed to be a nice person when we first met her. Like, even when she was asking questions that seemed kind of offensive, it even stated not unkindly. But it seems like now, like, as she's hanging out with Darla, um, she comes out and says, how are your remedial classes? But it doesn't say that she asked kindly this time around. So I'm wondering if she's being, like, pushed to be more of a, uh, what would you say, like, preppy, kind of better than everyone girl because of Darla. Yeah, I also was wondering if the way she's acting is because of the influence of Darla here, because her and Darla are clearly closer with each other than the others, and so uh, you might see them acting more alike as time goes on. My thoughts, knowing my my you know what I know from literature, I guess from reading other books, there's got to be something building here, in my opinion, that's going to spill over at some point. Like, there's going to be some event in my I guess hey a little prediction before the prediction section uh my thoughts are like this friendship that they're building this in my opinion false friendship with with uh Darla and Angelique is going to come to a tipping point at some point in the near future and something big is going to happen because of it there's definitely the feeling of some sort of weird division between Alex and her little group, and then Darla and Angelique and what they've got going on. So I think that that's definitely a a thought that's worth remembering for future chapters. Uh, after lunch, Alex then heads to a class called Basic Principles of Magic, which is taught by a professor named Mr. Adams. And Alex describes him as looking like as much like a pilgrim as any of the students Alex had seen because he wears... Black knee-length breeches, black stockings, black shoes, and a black coat over a white linen shirt. Uh, this is the most boring class of the day, it seems. Yeah. In fact, in this class, Alex says that she knows a few more things. She did, it, in fact, learn a few things, but the pace of the class was very slow, and the teacher would, instead of teaching read something, and then ask a student to repeat it and then move on. And so Alex ends up um, daydreaming a little bit in this class, and then anybody else that was daydreaming was made to repeat the the, cha- the section that they just read over again. And so this didn't seem like the most interesting class of the day, but we didn't get a whole lot of information about this class either. It seems like. They're almost preparing them for college. I mean, isn't that what most people do in college? Just read out of textbooks and get confused? Yeah. And be bored? This seems to be the uh, version of History of Magic with Professor Binns from Hogwarts. So It does seem to be that way. And 
It's interesting because then the very next class Alex goes to is called Wizarding World History. But this class is not as boring. Um, it's also kind of strange. The teacher is named Miss Grinder, And the book in that class is titled Wizards and Warlocks in the Ancient World. And Miss Grinder immediately is very aggressive in saying, well, what do you think of that? Do you suppose there were no witches at all in the ancient world? And everybody just sort of looks around confused, like, what are you talking about? And Miss Grinder, on the first day of class, takes this as her opportunity to, instead of saying anything relevant to Wizarding World history in general, to say, we've been using the same textbook for over 20 years, and instead, every, every year when I ask for a new one, they just hoist this standardized collection of patriarchal fairy tales on us. Which, fine. Obviously, there's female witches uh, that are out there that have done important things in wizarding history, but claiming this book is a patriarchal fairy tale book, obviously, it doesn't land because Alex, even everybody else is confused, and Alex even says, excuse me, what does patriarchal mean? And so I just thought that was kind of an interesting way to start your first class of, of the school year. Yeah, I wrote down, seems to be a feminist in my notes. So I think that that held true throughout that little paragraph where they were in class with her. I also, I don't, this isn't super related, but have you guys seen the new movie Immortals yet? Or Eternals, rather? Sorry. I have seen it, yes. You have? have I have you? not. Okay, so I'll avoid spoilers for your sake, but it kind of made me laugh when they brought up the female heroes, and I just went and saw this movie, and they bring up Cersei as one of the people. Um Spoiler, kind of. She's one of the characters in the movie. So I just thought it was kind of cool that that interaction just occurred after having just watched it. I did like it when they were mentioning some of the female witches that existed in history because they talk about Morgana, who is somebody that is addressed really early on in the Harry Potter series when they're talking about different witches and wizards cards from the Chocolate Frog cards. They also bring up Morgan Le Fay, which... I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Morgan Le Fay like the, the magical being from the Magic Treehouse series? Uh, I believe she's actually Arthurian, I think. I'm I'm not huge on Arthurian lore, but I'm pretty sure that she is from that. And so, I mean, either way, I've, I, I'm probably wrong when I say that. It's been a long time since I've read those, but they name drop a lot of people that I've heard of before. But the same as Alex, Alex says she's heard of these people too, but from mythology, it's the same with me. And so I could kind of connect to that a little bit and finding out that those people were real would be pretty cool. Yeah, this is kind of, if I'm remembering correct, kind of par for the course for the wizarding world, I guess for the muggle world in particular. Like they have a lot of stories about characters who they say are fictional characters, legends, so to speak. But then you get to the wizarding world and like, Oh, yeah, that, that guy actually lived in the Wizarding World. I think that's pretty cool. I like that that gets tied in in a lot of different ways to the Harry Potter universe because it it makes sense that if there's these very famous and powerful magic or like magical people that there must have been a muggle somewhere that saw them or or knew of them and then passed that legend down. And, you know, that's what they say is that all these every legend is based in fact somewhere. And so it makes sense that these would be real people, just they're just witches and wizards instead of what you hear about in traditional legends instead. 
Yeah, not to go super off topic, but this is, wow, this is a rabbit hole we're going down here. For sure. (laughs) I watched a history special probably 10 years ago on the Greek versus, um, what's... uh, Roman? No, 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 no. The Spartan 300 Persian, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Greek and Persian Wars. And uh, one of the Greeks had created something called Greek fire, which was super efficient at taking out Navy ships and everything like that. And it was purported that even today, we didn't know what Greek fire was because in all the descriptions, it wasn't like a black powder substance. It wasn't something that we had ever recreated and it was lost in time. So basically, it was a magical spell. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, in the context of what we're reading, that's how we can explain a lot of the stuff that that we know is documented to have happened, but we don't know how it happened. Yeah. I love fan fiction like this and other things because it makes me think of stuff like that. Like, obviously, you're, you know, tying in fiction with nonfiction, but it is kind of fun to see how these stories can fill those gaps. Well, just to build on that, you know, from a couple episodes back, we talked about that 9-11 post on Reddit, and we talked about how, or I guess I mentioned the... uh, the secrecy thing um, that, what is it called? Good Lord. Statute of secrecy? Yeah, we talked about the statute of secrecy. And it goes to show you that maybe wizards and witches did live amongst the muggles before that was established. And, and help them in their battles and help them, you know, accomplish the various feats that have been recorded as legend throughout history. Well, even in this, we've seen that they're uh, trying to teach the muggles through mushrooms and acid in california to use magic i mean there's that's something about the statute of secrecy that i've always thought is flawed is if you're going to allow muggle-borns witches and wizards who are born to muggle parents to go to school then there's a hole in the statute of secrecy for every single student that's like that right and you can tell the parents of a student to to keep it under wraps and not say anything, but short of obliviating them all the time, you're never going to do that. And so it's definitely, I guess you can justify what's going on here with Alex saying, I've heard of these people before because it's going to leak somehow, some way this is going to leak and you can't possibly follow up on 7 billion people's worth of, of leads and rumors and misinformation. Um, But getting back to, the rest of Alex's day after wizarding history class. She then goes to her first non-remedial class, which is practical magical exercise. And the short translation of that is that this is a class that's basically like PE. You go there and you play some games. Um, we hear about a few games in this. We hear about Quidditch. We hear about something called quad pot, which Delbert, I know you and I, for the longest time, were like, what is quad pot? What is this? And only recently I found out that it's a real thing that we can talk about in the future when it, when it is focused on a little bit more. Uh, but all the sixth graders in practical magical exercise uh, get told that they have to play a game called Plunk Balls by uh, the teacher who is named Mr. Bludgeleg. I suppose. Great name. It's a great name. I'm wondering if it comes directly from the term bludger. That's kind of what I'm thinking. If they're both sporting, it's a sporting class. A bludger is part of a sport, but. Well, also, hilariously, 
he's described as being as plump as a ball. As round as a ball. I did miss that, but that tracks with every PET tribe ever had, to be honest. Ooh. I'm not going to say his name, but I know we had a middle school one that didn't <laughs> quite track with that. But outside of that, yes. Every single one I've had. Uh, at any rate, sorry, we're not trying to shame PE teachers here, but um, everybody doesn't really want to play plunk balls. Nobody likes it very much uh, because they've played it at home, but they get to use their wands now, whereas before when they are playing it, they couldn't. And so everybody's pretty excited about the fact that they actually get to use their wands and do some magic. And it turns out Alex is pretty good at this without ever having done it before and not knowing any spells. So it's just another testament to kind of her natural power that she has, her natural magical abilities. Uh, we do find out, however, that Constance and Forbearance, again, are our Ozarker twins. They are very good at this. In fact, they've been playing this with magic for a very long time, and they quickly wipe the board with everybody. Yeah, one one thought or one thing that I found interesting was somebody shouted out, "You guys should join the Gobstones team," and they were like, "Gobstones, that's horrific," or you know, acted like it was this huge, you know, this bad thing. So I was going to ask you guys, what why do you think they reacted the way that they did to the mention of Gobstones versus Plunk Balls? I don't know for sure. Other than Gobstones is probably an import from the from the UK because we hear about it a lot in the original series. Something I could be wrong, but something is triggering my memory to think that when you lose at Gobstones, they squirt like a gross liquid on you as well. So they could be referring to that. Um, but either way, they say no to joining Gobstones, and they just kind of keep playing plunk balls and destroying everybody and dominating. And so I think we're going to probably have to talk a little bit more about quad pot and plunk balls in a future episode. Um, maybe for an extra credit, uh, segment later on, but after they play plunk balls for a while, they're approached by a guy named Larry Albo, who was the third person who was involved in the fight at Grundy's with the rash brothers. And, to keep this confrontation pretty short, because it was pretty short, he tries to intimidate Alex, and Alex basically says, look, I'm not scared to go back to Dean Graham's office, are you? And he very much is, and she basically intimidates him into uh, backing off and leaving them alone. Well, it's also mentioned that he, his his intentions on backing off was because going back to the dean's office for the second time in the first week of school didn't look good, and he was also scared of Dean Graham himself. But the way it made it sound is that everybody else viewed it as Alex won, basically, won the confrontation and, and backed him off because she was more intimidating than him. And, you know, you can get into all the the stuff, you know, a girl beat a, beat a boy or whatever, but... I don't think everybody looked up to Larry after this confrontation, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is the age-old going to prison inv- prison advice, in case you haven't heard it, is you find the biggest guy and pick a fight. I mean, Larry clearly is acting as if he's the popular kid around, and she just walks up to him and doesn't back down. So, I mean, she's gained a lot of credit with anyone that saw that, I think, as far as who's actually in charge of the school. It definitely establishes her as somebody who's not to be messed with. I mean, she... She says, legitimately, without blinking, telling the honest truth, 
I'm not scared to go back to Dean Grimm's, Dean Grimm's office. And pretty much everybody is scared to go back to her office. And so her saying that, I think Larry Albo definitely didn't want to try to call her bluff there because of the what if. Mm-hmm. What if we have to go back? And so, to be honest, I was impressed with her power here. I was impressed. That's a bold move. Yeah. And one more thing I wanted to point out about the confrontation. Larry brings up that she's in five remedial magic classes. And she, you know, he kind of shouts it out to the rest of the class to hear. Going back to the whole Darla and Angelic thing, how they're rude. Uh, Alex kind of catches Darla kind of smirk after hearing that. And so kind of going back to what I said, something building in, in that situation. Darla yeah. seems really elitist. Like, she does. Every single thing about her makes it seem like she thinks she's better than everyone, but tries to act as if that's not the way she thinks. Well, also, Darla, when they first start playing punk, punk ball, she's like, oh, I don't want to play that. That's a child's game. And then we see Angelique, you know, Darla goes off and doesn't play. But Angelique hops in is, and is having a great time and is winning, if I remember correct. And then I can't remember what happened exactly, but she notices Darla is kind of off off on her own, not being like, I want to, I don't want to play it. And so then she's like, oh, I'm going to go be with Darla because that's what Darla approves of. Yeah, Angelique is definitely a little bit of a follower, it seems. And so we get through plunk balls. We get through the confrontation with Larry Albo. And it's later on uh, that they're heading to dinner. And everybody kind of meets back up. And we first establish that Alex is starting to look at these people as friends. Uh, she's She gets called Alex. Um, and she says, only my mom calls me Alex and my friends. And they all go, well, aren't we friends? And she says, yeah, of course we are. You can call me Alex. And then she looks at Alex, at Anna and says, you too, Anna. So we've got a group established now. We've got, Alex isn't going to be on her own at least going forward, which is nice. Um, and then she gets told she's starting to get quite a reputation which, of course, given the nature of how things have gone, she should be getting some sort of a reputation. And she gets called troublesome, which if she was just called that, then it would be kind of in one ear and out the other. But she gets called troublesome, and the Ozarker twins, they respond to that pretty significantly. Uh, Alex says, I'm not troublesome, I didn't start it. And then Constance says, Troublesome often doesn't. And we get this whole conversation between Alex, Constance, and Forbearance about this troublesome thing. And so I was wondering, Delbert, I know you have the book in front of you. Baylor, I'm not sure if you have it pulled up or not. I do not. I was wondering if the two of you wanted to take on the role of either forbearance or constance and read this little interaction with each other i mean i am down where do you want us to start Uh, i would like you to start i'll play the role of alex and i would like us to start where alex says i'm not troublesome here you go baylor i have the book for you here if you want it okay so are you ready i'm more of a constance i think i'm not troublesome Delbert's more of a Constance. Baylor's going to take on the role of forbearance 
I'll play Alex here. Should I back away from the mic since I'm a few seats down? No, I don't think so. And I'm not going to take on a different voice here. So you guys do that if you want to. But I'm not troublesome, said Alexandra. I didn't start it. Troublesome often doesn't, said Constance from a few seats down. Alexandra looked at Constance in dismay. You too? The Ozarker girls were rarely so forthcoming with their opinions. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that quite as it sounded. But you know, you are much like troublesome, said Forbearance. Alexander frowned. You make it sound like troublesome is a person. She is, said Constance. Perhaps not a real person, said Forbearance. But famous in Ozarker lore, said Constance. A girl named Troublesome. Born to trouble and named for trouble, for trouble is what she is. No boy will court her. No man will marry her. And wherever she goes, trouble follows. So here we go. We have this whole conversation with the Ozarker twins. They uh, they go back and forth talking about this mysterious person called Troublesome in Ozarker lore. And a lot of what they say fits Alex pretty well. Can I just go back just one second here? Sure. I was not prepared for that. <laughs> well, I, did, I wasn't thinking either one of you would be prepared for it. I thought it would just be fun. Wow. Huh. Should have given me some notice so I could work on my voice, you know? Oh, I appreciated the commitment where it was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get this whole conversation, right? And so they start saying this and I start going, this sounds a lot like Alex. It's almost like a prophecy has been written about Alex here without it being a prophecy. And Alex says, does Troublesome always get blamed for trouble she doesn't start? And she's told sometimes. And Constance says, actually, often that happens. And then they, they say, but she also gets blamed for trouble she did start because she starts her own fair piece of it. And we find out here that the Ozarkers must be pretty superstitious because nobody wants their daughter to be dubbed troublesome and here Alex has been basically dubbed troublesome and I just think that this is a lot of foreshadowing for the future yeah well you also see them say but some say there has to be a troublesome or there might be far worse so troublesome is like a a a hero also maybe somebody who causes problems but without them the problems get worse yeah maybe I kind of see it as like Almost a mix, and this is not something that should be really mixed in a lot of cases, but like almost like a Hinduism mixed with Loki. So, like, you have this trickster soul that seems to be like being passed down to different generations, and that's your troublesome. Like, that's what I kind of picture when I see what they're talking about. It almost is like a chaotic neutral character in D&D. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, actually. That's so far, that's kind of what Alex has been, actually. Um, and then. The twins begin reciting a, what Alex thinks sounds like a children's rhyme, but is pretty serious. And you may have noticed that we didn't put anything from the audiobook at the beginning of this episode. And that's because I think, Baylor, we should just take this entire rhyme out of the audiobook and use it to finish off the episode today. That sounds good to me. I like it. I was going to say, should we play that here, actually? So I'm glad we're thinking alike. Yeah. And so... Uh, you may hear it right now, or you may hear it at the end of the book, whatever Baylor decides sounds better. But 
After that, the chapter is pretty much over. Uh, at first, Alex doesn't like being called troublesome, which a lot of people in school start calling her. But by the end, she kind of adopts it and says, you know, maybe being called troublesome isn't so bad after all. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. And I just want to bring up one thing about this troublesome stuff, too. I don't know if you guys remember, but this isn't the first mention of it either. So if you go back to the Goblin Market with uh, Mr. Fisterholtz, the wand maker, he starts off by saying, this will be troublesome. You will be troublesome. He does say that. And so this has been mentioned several times up to this point. And then we get a big bunch of troublesome talk right now. And so uh, it makes you wonder if if Alex is the troublesome of Ozarker legend. You know, right. It does make you wonder that right away. Well, we don't know who her father is, so maybe he's an Ozarker. He could be. Wow. I didn't even think about that. That'd be wild. <laughs> and so the chapter ends there, and it's been a long one, so uh, I think we should hop right into the casting segment. Yeah, so for the casting this week, I think with uh, their awesome little nursery rhyme and also their back and forth that we just did, Constance and Forbearance were the obvious choice. So I know, Brady, when I talked to you, you had only casted one person. I'm not sure what you're doing, Baylor, but I also casted one person to play both twins. So, in fact, let's start with you, Baylor. Who do you have for Constance and Forbearance? So I went way back to my childhood roots. You know, I grew up in the time of, like, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody and Full House, even though that was far beyond before the time of Sweet Life and Zack and Cody. But just the shows I watched when I was a kid. And two people who were just, you know, uh, straight to the point when they were when they were acting, really th- uh, reminded me of, of Constance and Forbearance, and especially because I think now that they've grown up, they are playing more of the creepy roles, horror roles, you know, horror movie roles, I believe. But I went with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, the Olsen twins. I will say that this, to me, was the most obvious choice, and the reason for that is because they were the only child actor twins I knew of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I went through a weird strategy of trying to cast these characters, and I put in blonde child actor with curly hair, and it was just 100 pictures of Shirley Temple. So yeah. it was kind of interesting <laughs> trying to see who comes up. But, Brady, who did you end up with? Uh, I went with one person who would obviously play both roles and – I did kind of try to go along the same process as Baylor. I wanted somebody who could play like a straight laced. I'm going to give it to you straight. Maybe the way I say it makes you feel a little bit eerie, especially with this whole troublesome rhyme that they went through. Uh, and so I went with young Dakota Fanning because in her older roles that I know of, like in when she's in the Twilight movies, she's able to play somebody who, who can say it say it to you with a straight face and kind of put you off your guard a little bit. So I went with young Dakota Fanning for this to play both roles of Constance and Forbearance. I envision Forbearance being just a little bit taller so they would just slide a little bit of an orthotic into her shoes when she's playing Forbearance to make her just a touch taller than she is when she's playing Constance. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I know I already talked to you guys about this. I tried to stay with someone that could play them today. It's just really, really difficult with child actors. So I ended up taking your advice, Brady, and going back to who I thought was the better fit, even though she's too old now to play this part. I went with Julia Garner, so I kept in the Ozarks, with uh, Ruth Langmore from the show Ozarks. So 
that's who I went with. Um, I mean, she's got the blonde curls. She literally plays an Ozark character already in a show. Granted, if you were to de-age her or go back in time, she wouldn't have that experience, but she does an excellent job in that show. So She does, actually. She's She plays a, a really good role in being an Ozarker in that show, and so I do think that that's a good fit. Yeah, so interesting casting choices. I did also consider Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen because I was trying to think of twins at first, and I couldn't really find any child actors besides them and... Uh, I even thought of uh, the Parent Trap actress. Um, I can't think of her name now, but Lindsay she's not Lohan. A, yeah, Lindsay yeah. Lohan, but she's not actually a twin. She just played two parts. Yeah. So, I would I would say if this was a movie, I think it'd be interesting to see one person play both parts because right. then they would be able to identify. You know, kind of how Constance and Forbearance is are they match each other identically, at least from what I understand. And I think that'd be really cool with one person. Yeah, I think it would be kind of cool, too, because even Alex at the start can't tell them apart. So if they just use the same person, it would be kind of fun to try to have us play that game as well. Yeah, I think so, too. And so uh, that's three pretty good castings, actually, in my opinion. Uh, they all sort of fit the bill. Even young Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen had the blonde hair going on that we know for Constance and Forbearance. And so... Um, We'll go ahead and add those to the spreadsheet for you guys to be able to check that out along with everybody else that we've casted. And before we wrap this thing up, uh, Baylor, I'm going to toss it over to you for the prediction segment. Let's go ahead and listen to what you predicted last week about Chapter 9. I think that classes will begin. Um, I feel like some of the remedial classes will be very mundane and slow going for Alex because she's I think still a powerful witch, even though she's underperformed in her tests, whatever. Um, but I do think she'll get ahead of the other students almost immediately. And because of this, she'll get bored and then get in trouble. And I predict she'll be in Dean Grimm's office by the end of next chapter. All right. So we just heard your prediction from last week for chapter nine. Baylor, uh, when you made the prediction, I thought it was very well thought out. But also, now that we've heard it, I don't think very much of it landed. Yeah. Really? Yeah, huh. uh, you're, you're right when you say classes start. You're right when you say some of them are pretty boring. Um, but then the second half of your prediction when you talk about Alex getting in trouble and ending up back in the dean's office again, uh, that just didn't happen. And so I don't – and I feel like that was the meatiest part of the prediction, so I'm just not sure that that landed necessarily. Wow, that that's interesting. I'll be honest, going into this prediction – and you're kind of swaying me the other way, but I was between superior and excellent. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard it, that was my initial reaction, actually. Right. But having listened to it again, and now that we've discussed the chapter in full, I'm not at that level anymore, necessarily. Huh. I'm not necessarily at a hocus-pocus or muggle level. Right. Because... Wow. Okay. Half of the half of the prediction was correct. Let me reevaluate because she does go to the office, but it's not due to new trouble. However, she does nearly go to the new office due to new trouble if Larry didn't back off. That is true. She does nearly go there. Like she would have gone there. Yeah, it she wasn't would've. her decision. Like that's it was interesting. Up to him. I hadn't thought about that. But the classes start. She even is daydreaming. So I mean, they're definitely a little slow for her. Well, it's it's mm -hmm. just to. 
you know, defend my myself here. Yeah. It does literally use the words slow going and mundane in the chapter when talking about the classes. Hmm, this is interesting. What's, what's the highest you'd be willing to go up to here? I'm not willing to go with a superior. I'm not willing to go to underperformer. I I could maybe go average here. I'm I'm right between there and excellent. So, average plus, excellent minus. They have plus minus. I mean, we can invent that. I guess maybe it doesn't say they don't. Hmm. Um. You know, I'm willing to defer to your better judgment here. You, I really like the point you made about her almost going back for new trouble, which is something I hadn't considered when I first was evaluating this prediction. So, uh, I'm just gonna defer to your better judgment on this one. I'm going to bump him up to an excellent. All right. <laughs> I, I liked it. It seemed a little out of order. Like, we thought this would happen, so this would happen, whereas really it was the office first and then the thing that would have led to the office. But I feel like there was a lot there that matched up, like in different parts of the chapter. So I think excellent's fair. I'm willing to go that way, too. That sounds good. I will point out that I'm still not above a poor or a underperformer. So. <laughs> well. Looks like Grundy's manager is your uh, plateau right now. Yeah. You'll get there. Yeah, and so with that, Baylor, why don't you go ahead and toss us your prediction for the next chapter? Excellent, excellent. So we know that they are going to serve their detention that night, the night of when this chapter ends, with Ben Journey. And my only thought is, since there are so many parallels between these teachers we're seeing at... Charmbridge compared to Hogwarts. So you see Miss, Mr. Gru is very much like Snape. The Charms teacher is very much like Flitwick, in my opinion, etc. Um, my only thought was Ben Journey, since he is a kind of a naturalist, you know, they call him a radicalist, but he is, you know, a naturalist, environmentalist, whatever. Uh, I believe that their detention will entail some kind of something in the woods, and it will introduce whatever creature lurks out there. Like we saw in the Harry Potter series, obviously it was Voldemort, but we, we also, you know, see them trying to help a unicorn. So I just think it'll, it'll be some kind of detention that will introduce some kind of the magical creatures around Charmbridge Academy. Would you like to name the creature? None come to mind, to be honest. Okay. All I'm saying is if you say it's Bigfoot and Bigfoot shows up, I'll bump your grade. I can't, can confirm, I cannot confirm or deny. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and end there. Make sure to follow us on our socials. Uh, get at us with your opinions on the show. Hit us up with a review on iTunes if you would. We'd much, much appreciate it. We're currently sitting at three five-star reviews, so three people think we're worth five stars. Um, One of them may or may not be my girlfriend. Who knows? Uh, at that point, I mean, next... Next week, we're going to be talking about Chapter 10, and I'm excited for what that discussion holds. Uh, and so, with that, guys, unless you have anything else. I'm just ready to start my career as a PE teacher. All right. Can I make an outside wreck? First time ever in the pod history? Sure. So, last night, we were bored, my, my wife and I, and we watched Only Murderers in the Building. For the first time. And we watched it was we started at, at ten PM. We we're like, oh we'll watch the first episode, whatever. 
ended up watching like five episodes, stayed up till 1 a.m. Whoops. So definitely go check that out. Can you say that one more time? I didn't hear what you said. Only Murders in the Building is I've what it's called. I've never heard and of it's this. And it's on Hulu. It's really, really good. Huh. Yeah, it's really good. Well, so, and hilariously, it's actually about a podcast. Thanks for the rec. I'll go watch yeah, it. It is. So with that, there you go. You've got a new TV show to watch as well, but make sure you read Chapter 10 first to stay caught up with us. Uh, and I guess we're going to go ahead and sign off there. I just wanted to remind you guys all that uh, watch out for Troublesome. No boy will, will court her and no man will marry her. Have a good night. Troublesome vexes, troublesome woes. Troublesome's trouble wherever she goes. Troublesome's wicked, high-headed, and vain. Troublesome's awful, a trial and a pain. Troublesome's misery, misfortune, and malady. Troublesome's dangerous, doleful calamity. Troublesome's reckless, ruthless, and bold. Troublesome never minds nor does as told. Troublesome stubborn but brave as can be. Troublesome stains when others would flee. When troubles afoot and all ills are set free. Troublesome's finally where she ought to be.